This week on The Outlaw Lawyer, Joe and I revisit Palin v. New York Times. That case uh, came to a conclusion this week. We also take a look at how uh, Remington uh, agreed to a settlement with some of the families affected by Sandy Hook. And then we've got several federal hate crime cases going at the same time, so we'll talk about them as well. And now, Outlaw Lawyer. The Outlaw Lawyers, Josh Whitaker and Joe Hamer, your host. You can find them at Whitaker and Hamer Law Firm. They're the managing partners there. They are practicing attorneys here in the great state of North Carolina. 46 combined years experience between these two, and they have offices in Raleigh. Garner, Clayton, Goldsboro, Fuquay, Verita, and Gastonia. Throw a rock, you're going to hit an office pretty much. Now, if you've got a legal situation going on uh, in your life and you've got questions, I've got a number for you. Jot this down, 800-659-1186. That's 800-659-1186. Leave your uh, contact information, a little bit about what the call's about, and an attorney with Whitaker and Hamer will be in touch. You can always email your questions to the show, questions at theoutlawlawyer.com, and we'll get to those in future programs. And always check the website out, theoutlawlawyer.com. Gentlemen, you got a lot on the plate today. I see the New York Times has made the show. Is this the Wordle decision? They purchased Wordle. I know a lot of people are very <laughs> into this game. Is that what we're talking about with the New York Times? Look, that game is that game is awesome. That, that, that's the... That's the American dream. You know, this guy put that game together. Well, I guess he's not American, right? I think he's from London or wherever. But anyway, a very simple game, very easy to play. It only takes you a couple of minutes every day. He sold it. For, they didn't say what it was, but it's definitely over a million. They said it was like six figures or whatever, but sold it. What more could you do? Joseph, you play the game? Do you play that game? Joshua, I don't play the game. Uh, I've seen uh, it. I see the people posting it, but uh, I'm I'm busy doing show prep, man. I'm dedicated <laughs> to this. <laughs> I'm dedicated to this program, and I don't have time for games. And uh, nah, that's not the truth. Um, I don't know why, man. I've never really, you know, you see the people posting about it. I understand it's a game. I've never cared to look into it more. Maybe I should, man. Your speech this morning was a good advertisement for it. And I think I'm going to go. I think I'm going to go check it out now. Well, you know, I um, I have a subscription to the, the to the New York Times and um, just digital. Uh, I used to get the Sunday New York Times, but I it, it, I'm old school, man. So I used to get the Sunday New York Times, and it got it got delivered. And you know, it was really it's a thick newspaper, and I like holding a newspaper. And like flipping through it, but I ended up not with the kids and the sports and the church and everything else. I didn't have time to, I didn't have time to do it. But one of the things Wordle did, you know, when the New York Times bought it, I was like, oh, that's dumb. Yeah, I couldn't understand the investment, but it got me back paying, playing the other New York Times word games. So they have like the mini crossword and all this other stuff. So um, a brilliant, a brilliant tactical move by the New York Times on that one. But, um, but I feel like we're glossing over the most important thing that has happened in 2022 and that is the super bowl halftime mm. show what'd you think about that joe me i mean that's it was right up my alley man it was uh right but i think it was made for my demographic my age range um a lot of nostalgia back to my earlier you know high school middle school that that era of my life yeah. and uh i greatly enjoyed it man that's just me personally though and, and um, I, i'll chime in too i i really enjoyed it i mean it yeah it was really well done. Uh, you know, just I, I like the representation. Long overdue. I, I just I'm, I'm they're in L.A. It, it was perfect. It yeah, was it perfect. Was, That's was what great. I took from it. I, I, I was really excited about it. 
uh, I'm in my, what, I guess, depending on how you look at it, mid to late forties. And, uh, so a lot of the, the Dre Stoop stuff was right in my high school, uh, time. And, but yeah, it was, it was the, like the set was good. The way they did it was good. Like I just enjoyed, uh, my wife mentioned when they, when, when Dre came up and then Snoop came up, like they just genuinely looked happy to be there. You know, they just looked like it was fantastic. I, but but this is what I go back to. You know how we rank these, and I think it's too soon. I'm not going to do it now, but maybe in a month or two, I'll have to sit. I, I, does it beat the Michael Jackson halftime show? That's tough. I mean, that was a good one. That was a it's really tough, good one. man. I, you know, here's the thing. I'm not a, I enjoyed it greatly. Like, I really enjoyed it. I was cheesing the whole time, man. Literally the whole time. Cheesing, smile on my face. Not a huge, not the biggest Mary J. Blige guy. Um and and she, I think she did a, she did a, a good job, but um, that that's I think I think that's more of like a subjective personal preference type of thing. But uh, right, right, you know, and and that was a brief little snippet of it. But uh, but that that would that would be a detriment to the overall show if you're looking at it as compared to the the Michael Jackson. I, show. Joe, I got to ask you: When Fifty Cent came out of the ceiling, did you jump on the pole and just start dancing? Man, I started laughing because I was thinking the this is what I thought. For I was like, oh, it's quick 50 cent. I was, you know, I was geeking out a little bit, but I was thinking, man, he his body type has gotten less <laughs> his I, body type is less old 50 cent and more yeah, me now. Yeah. So all I could think about was me hanging upside down. Yeah, dad body. At the Super yeah. Bowl. Yeah. And it, I could just I, it's like I could feel the blood rushing through my head and like yeah. I, I feel like I'd pass yeah. out and then fall yeah. and have to get mouth to mouth from a backup dancer. Well, I think we're but, uh, I think we're all in that category, but uh, there there's a rumor I can't prove it, but he's put in for a name change, full dollar, full dollar. <laughs> I, I I I don't understand why you just don't you didn't go Dre Snoop the whole time. You only got like twenty minutes, you know. Why just go Dre Snoop the whole time? I didn't I didn't think we needed all the other. I actually like Mary J. Blige. You know, I I'm not a big Fifty Cent guy. He was a little bit past my prime, but just Dre Snoop the whole time, man. I think that'd have been fantastic. I, I I loved the whole show. Really, really did. Thought thought they did a fantastic job. Loved the aerial shot of uh, L.A. of uh, South. Yeah, LA. that was an awesome set. That was an awesome set idea. They did a really good job with the set. But well, I didn't actually. I watched the game. I made it through the whole game. I stayed awake the whole time. Which you is remember good for who me. played in the game? I do. I do. <laughs> And I, you know, it was a close game. You, you what do you think of the Chiefs the whole time? You can't, Josh. <laughs> you, can't, you can't ask. You can't ask for much more. Uh, my kids were up. They all enjoyed it, and they're all old enough now to kind of stay engaged with it. So it was a good family, a lot of family fun. But well, I don't even remember what was the actual line on the game. Like, did they, uh, they was, come uh, close the, to the line? No, it was um the. I think it. I don't know if it opened at this, but the last I looked at it, it was Rams minus four. And so it was close. Yeah, it was close, man. I thought I, I, if I would have bet on this game, uh, I would have taken the Bengals spread, which would have won. And, uh, and I also I had a weird feeling that it was going to be Rams first half, Bengals second half. You know, the Bengals played very well in the second half. They had a lot of comebacks. And I thought whenever, whenever you saw OBJ hurt his knee, non-contact injury, you could tell it was, it was bad. I thought that was it, man. I thought the Bengals were gonna were gonna end up running away with it. But uh, credit to the Rams, man, for fighting back, for gutting it out. Um, questionable. I think it was fairly well officiated. I, I think that was the one questionable call on the uh, the holding call on Cooper Cup when they were down in the red zone. But other than that, I think the rest of the penalties on that last drive were pretty legit. Overall, it's hard to complain, man. It was a, it was a entertaining game. 
Yeah, I didn't. Uh, my my wife and my kids get really into the commercials. I don't really pay that much attention to the commercials, but uh, but I guess there was a good couple one of those or, or what people said. But all in all, it seems like you got everything you wanted. You got some good commercials, really good halftime show, an actual good game. Uh, it was a pretty pretty resounding successful Super Bowl. It sounds like. No, I, I totally agree, and you know we we ended up watching some of the uh, some of the commercials. I didn't get them all in the uh, uh, you know down, but Doritos I thought did really well, and uh, Mick Ultra I enjoyed uh, you know Peyton Manning, Serena, uh, yeah. Brooks Kalka I enjoyed that one. All right, <clears throat> well you know we always we always talk about sports a little bit, but now down to brass tacks, down to the actual legal things we want to talk about, and so we need to follow up. Uh, we talked about Palin v. New York Times, so Sarah Palin had sued the New York Times for libel, for defamation in print. And we, we had a lot to say about that on the last show. And then uh, jury came back. They had a couple of things happen, but the jury came back uh, Tuesday. Um, and so that was that was dismissed. So we'll talk more about that. And then the big story they just hit earlier this week, uh, kind of out of the blue to me, I had forgotten that it was even there was even active litigation. Uh, but uh, the some of the families affected by the I don't know if you call it the Sandy Hook tragedy or the I've seen it called the Sandy Hook massacre, but the uh, definitely unfortunate event at the Sandy Hook Elementary School. Uh, some of those families had been suing the manufacturer of the weapon that was used, which was Remington. And that settled for, I think it was seventy three million dollars. Um, and so that was a big settlement and a lot to talk about there. Um, and then we've got uh two federal hate crime cases underway, one in Minnesota, one down in Georgia, I believe. But uh, we're going to talk about those two, just federal hate crimes and double jeopardy and, and things like that. So a lot of a lot of meaty legal things to talk about. All right. The Outlaw Lawyers are going to roll on here. Josh Whitaker and Joe Hamer, your hosts. They are the managing partners at Whitaker and Hamer Law Firm. They're also practicing attorneys here in North Carolina. 46 combined years of experience, and we tell you every single show, they have offices everywhere. Raleigh, Garner, Clayton, Goldsboro, Fuquay, Verena, and Gastonia. If you have a legal situation, you've got questions, you can call this number, 800-659-1186. That's 800-659-1186. And just leave contact information, briefly what the call is about, and an attorney with Whitaker and Hamer will be in touch. You can also email your questions to the show, questions at theoutlawlawyer.com. We'll take a look and we'll answer them on future programs. And check out the website, theoutlawlawyer.com. We're back with Palin versus the New York Times. That's coming up next. the Outlaw Lawyers, Josh Whitaker and Joe Hamer, your hosts. They are the managing partners at Whitaker and Hamer Law Firm, 46 combined years experience, offices in Raleigh, Garner, Clayton, Goldsboro, Fuquay, Verena, and Gastonia. They are practicing attorneys here in the great state of North Carolina. If you've got any questions on the legal side, uh, something you're going through, uh, you can call this number 800-659-1186. That's 800-659-1186 and leave your contact information, briefly what the call's about. An attorney with Whitaker and Hamer will return your call promptly. Also, you can email your questions to the show, questions at theoutlawlawyer.com. Palin versus the New York Times. We start there. Morgan, the, this is um, this is one that I paid a lot of attention to. I, we talked about this last week. I won't rehash it too much, but, but obviously I got a journalism background, uh, practicing attorney here in North Carolina. Uh, so this is, this is something that was very interesting to me. And just a quick recap, you know, Sarah Palin, uh, had been the target of a editorial 
uh, in the New York Times that basically linked her or said she may be to blame for some of the shooting deaths that happened at an incident where uh, uh, Gabby Giffords was shot in Arizona and, uh, and a couple of folks died. Um, and, and Sarah Palin took offense to that. The, the New York Times came back after the editorial, did a retraction, did an apology in print. She sued him uh, for libel, defamation, defamation in print. And the case kind of wound through the course. I think that was 2016 when it all got started. And so here we are the past week or two. We've had a trial uh, that was, was heavily followed by kind of all media outlets. I think everybody did a good job kind of covering this one and realizing how important it was. Um, and so we talked about it last week while it was um, while the evidence was going on, while the trial was going on. And then uh, this week, I think Monday, the judge came out and I guess there was a I'm assuming I didn't read this, but I'm assuming there was a motion to dismiss at the end of the case uh, by the New York Times that uh, he took under advisement. And so he kind of ruled on it. And so he was going to dismiss it because legally speaking, he didn't think Palin's folks had, had met their burden. And so he still let the jury, the jury was out for deliberation. He let the jury deliberate. They came back yesterday with a unanimous verdict that Palin had not met her obligation. And Joe, we talked a little bit about actual malice in the Supreme Court case this came from. Uh, But I guess they just, both factually and legally, they didn't meet the burden. They didn't find actual malice. So this was was dismissed. The New York Times won at this level. but that's just the way it was. That's the way it ended up. I just think it was a, a, a pretty resounding slam dunk, and and every she Palin basically lost in every way that you can lose. Like it wasn't just a like a close a close loss. It was like literally slamming the door shut and then just repeatedly slamming it shut over and over. <laughs> you know the fact when you have the judge tell you ahead of time, I'm going to dismiss this. And then the jury comes back and they, they unanimously rule. Like that's, again, it's it's about as resounding of a of a loss as you can have in a lawsuit. Would you Would you agree? Yeah, I, I would. I mean, yeah, it's it's definitely not encouraging. The the thing that got me is these don't usually survive early motions to dismiss. So a lot of times in a civil lawsuit, you know, um, if I file a lawsuit against you, Joe, I hope that never happens. Was that? But say I file a lawsuit against you, your attorneys will come back and and file what we call a twelve b six. Uh, motion to dismiss, there's not enough here, failure to state a claim. There's all these motions you can make, like right when somebody sues you. Um, and and usually because of the the actual malice level that you have to prove, um, a lot of these get thrown out. They don't go to trial, right? So last week we were talking about how interesting it was that this even made it to trial because they usually don't. And And we talked about how the New York Times just has this you know, for the past 50, 60 years, they've taken the position where if you're going to sue us for defamation, if you're going to sue us for libel, you're going all the way. We're not settling these things. So you got to be prepared to go the distance. And that's worked for them. Because again, the burden is we talked about the burden being real high because we've we've got competing interest here, right? So you want, you, you know, you want the newspaper to have their constitutional right uh, free speech. You want them to be able to report the news. You want the newspaper or the newspaper. You want the news, the media to be able to talk about important people. And, and if something's stinks, you want them to report that. And, um, but you also don't want them to act, you know, take people down. You don't want the news to have a coordinated effort to, to, to defame someone. And so, but anyway, you got this high standard and I was just, I was, I was encouraged that it went to trial. Um, but yeah, she was resoundingly defeated. And then I read some of the, after the trial, I think Palin had some comments. I think her attorneys had some comments. And if you read that, 
uh, I don't know that they're going to appeal it. I thought, you know, early on they said, no matter what happens, you know, we're going to appeal it to the, we want the Supreme court to hear this. We want to change, you know, we want to change the law or what have you. And then they didn't sound very encouraged after, after this kind of double defeat. So, uh, I think the New York times and, uh, depending on how you view this freedom of press, uh, kind of won here. So, uh, I guess, so I guess it's, you know, it is what it is, but it was, it was interesting to watch it unfold. Yeah, it, it was interesting. And I think we did, we, you know, we speculated and I don't want to say we speculated because I think we just drew from, from Palin's own comments and the things that she had said leading up to the trial it, that it was, this was getting appealed, you know, this was something that they were going to to take uh, to the, the fullest extent that they could in an effort to really look at how this is looked at. You know, they basically wanted to go back for, from what they represented at the time and kind of challenge the underlying standard. And and it, it, she kind of made it out to be this whole crusade against the uh, quote unquote lamestream media um, and, and really talked a big game about how this was going to be something that they really pursued, regardless of what this verdict was. They were, you know, if it went against them, they were going to appeal. Like you said, they were going to take it and try to really push uh, a new way to look at things and a new way to look at this actual malice standard. And um, I couldn't say exactly why it seems like there's been uh, an about face on that. Uh, you know, the fact that it was such a, a resounding defeat and the fact that it was unanimous um, and, and it basically just kind of got destroyed in that sense. Maybe that was a factor. Maybe I can't imagine that this was a, a, a cheap endeavor for her to pursue this lawsuit. I can't imagine, you know, there's no telling how much it has cost at this point. I don't know if that was a factor in any, in any way, but, uh, interesting nonetheless. And you know what, Josh, I don't think we made any kind of prediction on this other than saying that it was interesting because we're very careful about that. So I think we're still perfect on our prediction record. Um, and, and, and even if we said something different, I'm not going to go back and listen to it. So I'm going to no, go. Ahead. I'm just going to say not, we're perfect. I'm not fact. I'm not fact checking this. The uh, well, I always wonder about that too, Joe. And and this this will go into what we're going to talk about next too uh, after the break. But I always wonder where the money comes from on, on something like this because Sarah Palin, she's a people know who she is, right? She's a celebrity of you know some some level. We all recognize. I'd say her less name. so now than she was at one point. I think at one point she was you know very very prominent in the public eye very you know everyone knew who she was you couldn't couldn't know not know who she was because yeah like, when tina fey when tina fey did sarah, sarah palin on saturday night live but what was that 10 years ago yeah it was a long yeah. it was a long time ago and since then her she kind of dwindled out of the public eye to an extent she's still been in it you know she's still active but not anywhere close to what I would say she was at the peak of her kind of popularity and, and being in the public eye. So I know at the law firm of Whitaker and Hamer, we try to charge very reasonable legal fees. Um, but I always wonder what this law firm charged her or whoever's paying, you know, maybe she's not paying, maybe someone's paying the bills for her. There's a, maybe there's a political, political action. I'd imagine it's a combination, paying. you know, there, there's people that really care about these issues that are well-funded, you know, uh, packs and whatnot. So I, w I would assume it's kind of a, a, a mix of the two because I'm sure she's not, she may not be making judge Judy money, but I think she's doing okay. 
Well, and, and you also have, uh, and again, guys, I mean, you're in this, this is what you do. I mean, uh, if it's a big case and you wanted to, you know, volunteer your services, obviously uh, you're going to get some publicity uh, out of helping a, a Sarah Palin type. So possibly there's, there's some kind of trade-off there. I don't know. I mean, I, I'm just, I'm just throwing that out there. Yeah. No, I agree. No, I imagine you, get, I'm, you get slam dunked on by the, by the judge <laughs> and the jury. <laughs> the, uh, yeah, the publicity probably is, is something, but I'd imagine these these fees uh, in this kind of trial are in the hundreds of thousands of dollars. And and um, I, I would estimate closer to the, the the million mark. You know, all yeah. all in, all considered, you're going against a, a major media conglomerate, and uh, I don't think that's a cheap. I don't. I don't think it's a cheap battle. And like you said, a lot of these things don't get to this point. So you know, this has been going on for a while, and and lawsuits are not cheap, man. They're not cheap. Well, you hear about how print media struggles, you know, that, you know, but the New York Times, I don't think is struggling. They talked about how they, how many uh, subscribers they have or, or whatever. And it was, I can't remember what it was. I don't know if it was like, it was a lot. I mean, it was millions and millions and millions. So they, and they were, they were kind of up, um, you know, on their subscriber. But yeah, you're going to get some deep pockets there. And, and I, anyway, it was, it was really fun to watch it play out. You just don't get this kind of case very often. So if you're a, journalism geek and a, a law geek like I am it was it was a very interesting to watch very interesting to read about I don't know that we'll see another one of these in the next 10 years they're just not you just don't see them very often uh, the the lawsuits for libel that actually get tried and you get editors on the stand and reporters who have to give you their their thought process and why they did this and that so so very interesting, but but on that same train of, of where the money comes from, uh, up next, I think Joe and I, we're going to spend some time. Uh, the big settlement between Remington and Sandy Hook was announced this week, and uh, I think it, it poses a lot of questions, so a lot to talk about. The Outlaw Lawyers, Josh Whitaker and Joe Hamer, your host of the Managing Partners at Whitaker and Hamer Law Firm. They have offices in Raleigh, Garner, Clayton, Goldsboro, Fuquay, Verena, and Gastonia. They are practicing attorneys here in North Carolina. If you've got a legal situation you're going through and you've got questions, we've got a phone number for you, 800-659-1186. That's 800-659-1186. Just leave contact information, briefly what the call's about, and an attorney with Whitaker and Hamer will be in touch. You can also email your questions to the program questions at theoutlawlawyer.com we'll answer them on future programs and check out the website theoutlawlawyer.com we come back remington and sandy hook on the Outlaw Lawyer. Josh Whitaker and Joe Hamer, your hosts, the managing partners at Whitaker and Hamer Law Firm. Offices in Raleigh, Garner, Clayton, Goldsboro, Fuquay, Verena, and Gastonia. And they have 46 combined years of experience between these two. And again, practicing attorneys here in North Carolina. If you've got a legal situation you're going through, call this number, leave your contact information, and briefly what the call is about. And an attorney with Whitaker and Hamer will be in touch. The number is 800-659-1186. That is 800 800- 659-1186. Remington and Sandy Hook on the block. Morgan, this just came out. I just saw it yesterday, uh, but I had I had even forgotten. I, I just forgotten about this uh, at all. You know, you, it is very hard in the United States to sue a gun manufacturer for much of anything, right? So, you know, you've got the We've got the Second Amendment that says everybody has the right to bear arms, and that's interpreted different ways. And under federal law and in different states. And you could have, you know, we could probably talk all year about 
gun laws and how they differ and as they relate to the Second Amendment. But there's also civil statutes, federal and some states, that kind of shield gun manufacturers from from liability because that's the first thing. Um, you know, when something happens, somebody's shot and killed with a gun, you know, attorneys and, and folks try to think of a way to get back, you know, at the, to the gun manufacturer, you know, when you're, when you're thinking about suing somebody, you always think about how much money they have. Right. So if you're the victim of a gun crime or, you know, a family that survives, a lot of times the person who committed the crime doesn't have any money. There's no insurance. There's nothing to get at if you were to sue them for something, a wrongful death action, things like that. Um, so people, I think, try to come up with ways to get back to the folks who manufactured the gun. How are they negligent? You know, and, and kind of, but anyway, it doesn't work a lot because there's a, you know, there's a, there's a couple of shields there and it's just something that's traditionally been very hard to do. And so Sandy Hook, um, you know, just a horrible event, you know, where you had, uh, I don't remember the, the kid's name. I guess it's not important. You don't want to you don't really want to give the people who commit these kind of atrocities the the fame that that maybe they were looking for. But, you know, just a lot of kids killed, just a h- horrific, like the most horrible situation you can almost picture. Sandy Hook was was terrible. And um, no matter how you feel about gun rights, uh, it, Sandy Hook was a tragedy. Right? And so the 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 perpetrator there, the, the guy who did it, used an, a Remington, apparently a Remington manufactured AR-15. And so a lot of the families who were who lost kids and loved ones uh, in that tragedy had had been trying for years to sue Remington for for some sort of uh, negligence. And and again, that's just a we talked about suing the New York Times. That's an uphill battle in our first segment, and this is even more of an uphill battle. You know, to kind of get back at a gun manufacturer. Um, and so, like I said, I had completely forgot about it. Then yesterday, I saw the story. I uh, was breaking that Remington had agreed to a $73 million settlement uh, with the, f- with the affected families. And with that settlement, not only money, but they agreed to release uh, a lot of internal documents. So when you sue someone, again, I'll go back to my example where I'm suing Joe. Um, I sue him, but I also ask him, I can, I can do some discovery, right? So I can ask him questions. Why weren't, why weren't you here? Why were you doing this? So I can ask him some questions. Those are called interrogatories. But I can also request the production of documents. So I can say, give me your Google calendar for the day of, you know, whatever, or give me the receipt showing me you were buying gas on such and such a date. So I can I can request things. And so I guess while this lawsuit was going on, Remington was not responding to discovery requests. And so part of the settlement was the families got a lot of internal documents from Remington um, on how they advertise. Cause apparently that was the crux. Joe, I don't know if you've been following this one really well, but apparently that was the crux of the lawsuit. Uh, Remington, they said, you're, you're liable because you advertise this AR 15, uh, a military style weapon that, that normally you'd only sell to a, you know, a few hundred thousand people. You advertised it to the general public, um, and sold three, 4 million of them instead. But but that's what I, and again, I haven't, I want to read more of the actual court documents, but I haven't had a chance to just yet. 
Yeah, a few things, man. First of all, it's been a bad show for theoretical me uh, in my legal <laughs> troubles. You sued me. You sued me several times, and I didn't even do anything to you, man. I was going to say, um, Jody, how do you feel about working with Josh? Now? I don't know, man. I feel like he's just been <laughs> in his basement plotting, just drafting up think, lawsuits to just drop. I think on for me my next day. theoretical suit, I'm going to sue Morgan. Okay, just to make it more that fair. sounds. We're going to come on the show, and it's going to be like, Joe, I, yeah. I don't want to get sued by you, Josh, because. Uh, you know, you you seem to have really been putting a lot of thought into this. And uh, look, man, I will theoretically sue everybody if I have to. Just sue someone else other than me, man. It's going to kill our show dynamic, and uh, maybe it'll make it better. Maybe that's what we need. Is you start suing me, and we come on, and we just fight the whole time. We argue about our fake lawsuits. But uh, <laughs> just to just touch on a few things that you mentioned. You know, you, you talked about the fact that this situation obviously terrible. It's a tragedy. It's horrendous. Absolutely horrendous. And the, you know, people, when they go to sue, they want to get back at someone. And you, you mentioned how generally the person who perpetrates these crimes, you know, it, I think it's a safe bet. We make a lot of bets here. It's a, it's a safe bet that the people who are committing mass uh, shootings of this type are generally going to be what we would refer to as judgment proof plaintiffs. These aren't people who have generally speaking, gone out, done very well for themselves, acquired a lot of wealth or real property that you could attach a judgment to that you're going to have a, a good chance of recovering. They're usually going to be the types that really have nothing that you can get after. So so what else do you do? And, and like you said, you go after these gun companies, which as you touched on, is has been virtually impossible due to, you know, federal laws that essentially grant immunity to them in a lot of ways. So the fact that that this has gone the way that it has, has proceeded to this point, and then has ultimately settled not only with this this monetary sum, but also with with that production of internal documents piece, which is was maybe the more relevant thing here, because that was, you know, that was what the families seemed to really be after. You know, obviously everyone wants to to you can't compensate for something like this. Like there's no amount of money that is going to make you feel better about what took place and make you whole. Like, I don't think anyone would dispute that, but you know, a lot of these families approach this as being a larger, a larger cause and, and trying to kind of prevent something like this from happening in the future. And they looked at the, the best means of accomplishing that being, you know, looking into the internal practices of, of the, the gun manufacturer. And so they were really seeking the production of those internal documents. And, and that was resisted very heavily by Remington. So the fact that they've settled and as a condition of that, they're going to produce these documents that they really kind of fought to prevent. I think it's a super interesting development. I really do. I, I really want to see the, the, the hard documents. I really want to see the case file on, on this. Cause I don't, I don't get it. I don't, I don't know how close it was to going to trial. I, I don't know. For me, it just seems so hard to get to, and there's no, there's not a lot of precedent. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. Usually you settle a case because you either, you know, sometimes you settle a case because you don't, you just don't want to deal with it, right? So if you're a celebrity and you get sued and you don't want to have to go to court, you don't want your personal business out there. So sometimes you settle it just because you you just want to stop it. And that's why you'll see some of these folks, famous people get sued and it's probably made up trivial stuff, but they just settle it to get rid of it. Sometimes insurance companies will settle things just to get rid of it because, you know, fighting it, it takes time and, and money, Right. So it's a it's a business decision a lot of times. And and I'm sure um, Remington has spilt, spent a lot in legal fees here. But it seems to me eventually, unless there's something I don't know, which I, I'm assuming there is, 
uh, they'd be successful. And so I don't know, you know, I, anyway, I don't know. There's insurance companies involved in this. So Remington, you know, has insurance companies. They insurance companies have been footing the the legal bill, I'm sure, or most of it. And so the 73 million, I did read, it was all insurance money. So Remington had insurance policies in place to protect against this kind of thing, and the insurance companies had, had decided to pay this money to to settle it. So I just don't get it. I, I just don't understand. But this made me think more about you know we've talked about the uh it's got a nickname but the abortion law that texas kind of put forth uh last year where um texas the lawmakers there know they can't say you you know you can't get an abortion right you know there's a there's still a constitutional right for abortion under certain circumstances uh even though that's something we i'm sure we're going to discuss a lot this year um, but Texas made that law where, okay, we can't stop you from getting an abortion. You have a constitutional right to get an abortion under certain circumstances. But you know what? We're going to make it illegal for the doctor to perform an abortion because the doctor doesn't have a constitutional right to, to perform abortions. And so they have that law where anybody, any, anybody in Texas can sue a doctor or you know a family member who takes someone to get an abortion. And so they have chilled abortions in their state with this law that has been up to the Supreme Court a couple of times. And the Supreme Court hasn't said this is okay, but they also haven't been in a hurry to, to strike it down. They want it to go through proper channels or what have you. But we've talked about, Joe, that this is a dangerous precedent because um, it has it has chilled people's right to exercise their constitutional right. And I think this is the beginning. Um, you know, this has got a lot of people thinking about different ways to if you're against gun rights, right? If you if you think there is not a constitutional right to bear arms, or you think it's very limited, or you think it should be changed, um, you know this Texas law on abortion and, and this Remington lawsuit, you know if you can make it where it's not cost effective for a manufacturer to sell guns, um, you know that's that's something you can say. You know Walmart, Dicks, they don't have to sell AR-15s, they don't have to sell shotguns and you know, Remington doesn't have to produce these weapons. Um, and so if you can make it economically unattractive to to sell things like this, then maybe you get your AR-15 ban if that's something you're after. You know, I don't. Yeah, kind of. a. I see what you're saying. You, you kind of it's not an outright ban. It's kind of like you said, it's like the abortion law. It's not an outright ban, but it's it's you go about it a different way. And so if you look at if you look at the, the history of, of, of similar lawsuits of this type, you know, the last big settlement that we saw that doesn't even really come close to touching this, but but is something that we can look at as having some similarities was it was 2004 when uh, Bushmaster and a weapons dealer, they agreed to pay, I believe it was $2.5 million to the families of the, the folks who were killed in the, the sniper attacks back in 2001 that, that took place in that Washington, Maryland, Virginia area. Um, but, but since then, you know, it was after that fact that you had that federal liability shield that was passed, uh, which has made it so, so difficult to get at these gun manufacturers. And so there's actually a quote uh, from, from one of the top gun industry executives that says that liability shield to this point is basically the only reason we even have a firearms industry at all anymore. Um, so if you look at that quote and you, you take it at face value and then you look at this result where they've kind of circumvented that shield to an extent, I, I think this is a, a fairly large development in, in that whole space for, for folks who are really pushing for, for more gun control of some sort. 
Yeah, Remington. So this these insurance policies that paid out, I'm sure Remington again, we make a lot of assumptions here because we're not privy to to a lot of this internal information. So you kinda have to just read backwards, take the facts and kind of go backwards. But you know, they they've got insurance that would protect them from from liability. And so the insurance is paid out here. Um, so this insurance companies aren't, you know, uh, they don't have unlimited supplies of money to pay out on settlements. So they're gonna see Hey, we paid out $73 million on this policy. That policy is not going to exist anymore. You know, they, the insurance company does not want to lose money. There's not an amount of premium you can pay them for them to absorb millions and millions and millions of dollars of, of losses over and over again. So I, this is going to, in the end, be really important. I'm sure other gun manufacturers are going to see this and, 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 you know, I guess maybe things get more expensive in the short term, but at some point, uh, it, you know, it, it may not be economically feasible for Remington. Remington was, I think they filed bankruptcy once or twice since this happened, you know, trying to, that's another thing, you know, if you have some civil liability out there, you have certain lawsuits, you file bankruptcy and you, you can be shielded from those. Um, but I think they filed bankruptcy twice. They've been bought by a private equity firm. Um, I wonder what Remington's going to look like in a year. You know, I wonder what they're going to be able to produce and just, will they be a viable company going forward after something like this? Cause that's a good, that's a good chunk of change. You know, the outlaw lawyers, Josh Whitaker, Joe Hamer, your host. They are the managing partners at Whitaker and Hamer law firm, 46 combined years experience between these two. And again, offices in Raleigh, Garner, Clayton, Goldsboro, Fuquay, Verena, and Gastonia. And they are practicing attorneys here in North Carolina. If you've got your own legal situation, you've got a question, we have a phone number for you, 800-659-1186. Leave your contact information, briefly what the call is about. Again, 800 1186 and an attorney with Whitaker and Hamer will be in touch. You can always email your questions at questions at theoutlawlawyer.com. And please check out the website. Our shows are there in podcast form, theoutlawlawyer.com. We're going to talk about some hate crimes when we come right back. The Outlaw Liars, your hosts are Josh Whitaker and Joe Hamer. Whitaker and Hamer Law Firms, where you can find them during the week. They're the managing partners there. They are practicing attorneys here in North Carolina. They have 46 combined years experience between them, and they have offices in Raleigh, Garner, Clayton, Goldsboro, Fuquay, Verena, and Gastonia. And as always, we give you an opportunity. If you've got a legal situation, a question, you can always call 800-659-1186. That's 800-659-1186. And leave your contact information, briefly what the call's about, and an attorney with Whitaker and Hamer will be in touch. And you can always email your questions to the show, questions at theoutlawlawyer.com, and we'll answer them on a future program. And please visit the website, theoutlawlawyer.com. A lot of stuff there. Uh, for you to peruse and you can listen to former you know past shows and podcast forum all there for you i'm morgan patrick consumer advocate and i turn it over because uh you're going to talk about some hate crimes and i can't wait to hear it yeah i, I felt like this would be a good time we've got I, I can't remember the last time if ever we've had kind of two high profile federal hate crime cases going on at the same time and so you know we've we've talked a lot about here and of course on the media you know almond arbery uh was murdered in, in Georgia and his his a uh, murderer has has been sentenced on the state level and has been convicted and sounds like will be in prison for the rest of, of his natural life. And of course, we had uh, Gavin Floyd 
was found to have been murdered by uh, Officer Derek uh, Chauvin, um, and 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 he's been sentenced on the on the state level. And, and so we also had federal charges. And so the federal hate crime statutes they're this is how you can tell I'm old. I still feel like they're fairly new, even though they're 15 ish years years old now. They've been on the books for a while. Um, but it's always interesting to me to kind of see these play out, you know, um, when they, when they went on the books, there was a big argument, you know, are they necessary? And, you know, in, in every, you know, every case, you know, the, the federal government, if they want to get you on something, they're going to get you on something. They've got a lot of weapons at their disposal and they can, they can charge. And I think at the time, this is just my opinion. I think at the time, people felt maybe there was a need for these laws because some states weren't, you know, and Arbery is a good example because we talked about uh, Mr. Arbery's uh, murder and how there were several prosecutors on the state level who refused, recused themselves, refused to prosecute. You know, it was a, an instance where something horrible had happened and some of some state officials kind of refused to do anything about it. And finally got to, to someone who did charge it out and, and these folks were found guilty of, of murder. So if for some reason the state had failed uh, to proceed, then you have the federal hate crime statute and certainly uh, could try Mr. Arbery's murder errors uh, against uh, federal charges. So that, that in my mind, that's how it is supposed to work. You know, it's kind of this, you know, if the state doesn't do what they're supposed to um, you've got this, this backup, but when the state does what they're supposed to, and you still have a federal hate crimes trial coming up after it just does. It seems it, it, you know, it raises questions. I think there was a lot of questions of whether this raises double jeopardy, things like that. Uh, when these statutes kind of came on, um, but you do seem like you're kind of rehashing the same thing. They're technically different charges. You violated different statutes. And then Joe, I think we talked about double jeopardy uh, in one of our earlier episodes and kind of the Supreme court cases that the, the, the two sovereign rule. I don't know if you remember us talking about that. Yeah. Yeah, we have. And, uh, you know, you you make a good point and there are similarities, you know, there's similarities between what is being charged here, but there's also some pretty important differences and distinctions and the, the laws that these, these two things are prosecuted based off of are, are, are different and they have different intents and different purposes. And so I think you kind of have to understand to understand that distinction, you got to kind of understand what a, a federal hate crime even even really is. And so a hate crime at the federal level is, is defined as a crime that's motivated by bias against the victim's perceived or actual race, color, religion, national origin, sexual orientation, gender, gender identity or disability. And that's according to the Justice Department. So whereas you've got the prosecution of the the underlying crime, the act itself, the murder, the the hate crime piece speaks to the the intent behind it. And and again, there's always going to be intent. There's a, there's a mens rea present in, in any prosecution of any crime. But this is specifically that motivation of of hatred based on those protected groups and those protected classes that have been identified. So, you know, there is a distinction there. Yeah. It, and it, it's, it's, you know, and, and it's been hashed out. And I think most, most attorneys, most judges, most uh, legal scholars uh, recognize that, that difference. And so while on the surface, it certainly does look a little bit like you're, you're being tried on the same facts. Uh, it's not for the same thing. Right. And, and, and so these trials have been interesting and, and the federal 
court is looking for for different things you know proving you murdered someone you're looking at the facts and the weapon and what happened leading up to it and intent and self-defense and all those questions but the federal court's looking at what was your motivation behind it you know and and i and and that's i think that that's much 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 harder to prove we know you know the defendants now there's been a trial they've been convicted that they did in fact murder uh, Mr. Arbery was murdered. Mr. Floyd was murdered. So that's not that poor. It's what is the motivation behind uh, the murder. And that's a much different thing. That's very hard, to, I, I think, unless you've got some, you know, social media or a diary or some statements beforehand. That's, I feel like it's very hard to prove. And, and that's kind of been the history of, of these cases, unless you have something, um, you know, out there. It's, it seems, the penalties are very harsh. You know, it's something that we as a society, have, we want to discourage. Um, I know uh, uh, Attorney General Garland has said this is a, you know, this is a priority for his office is to prosecute uh, hate crimes when they come to the federal government's attention, putting a lot of resources and effort into it. So um, I think the Minnesota trial has been going on for a little bit now, a couple of weeks, and, and the Arbery uh, one is is just coming online. But it's going to be very interesting, Josh. It, it sounds you. You think it'll be interesting? It sounds like you think this may be interesting. <laughs> I I rarely give anything the uh, five or six varies there, so I, I I think it will be very interesting. And this, you know, this has been getting a lot of coverage. Not as much coverage as the state trials, right? You know, once once people do get convicted, everybody kind of you know I think has some kind of fun. Everybody seems the media, everybody seems to rest easy. So I don't know that these are getting the same attention as the state cases did. And of course, we talk about, you know, cameras aren't a lot of the time. You can't go live and, and, and see it, you know, so it, everybody takes a step back, but it'll be, we'll see how it plays out anyway. But um, I judge my, I judge things, I judge things off of the, uh, off of the um, number of varies that you throw in front of them, that's one of my meters for for judging things. That was like so, six. I think that yeah. was six varies. That's that's. It was several, and but I agree with you, man. I'm gonna give it. I'm gonna give it four varies on my interesting scale. And, <laughs> I don't uh, know. We need to go back because our opinions vary on vary. Yeah, very. Oh man, so my, many varies. But uh, my, you know, it's different things that it's different things they're trying to prove here, and and so. Like you said, it's difficult. It's a difficult proposition to prove that someone was motivated by hate. Um, and and this is the thing, man. Even if you've got social media posts, you know, you could have someone expressing these views at one point in time. You still got to prove that, that that person was actually motivated by those feelings, that hatred when it came to committing this specific act. So, And you actually we, – we've seen that thus far in this trial. You've seen the – the court referring to past statements made by some of these individuals regarding, you know, uh, racial comments, racist things that they've said, comparisons they've made. Um, so, so all of that's a factor. And like you said, Josh, we, we definitely have an interest, a vested interest as a society in preventing crimes of this nature from taking place. Like you don't want anyone to, to be targeted for a crime as a result of any of those protected bases. And we, we need to take care of those folks and we need to really, really put forth a, a, any kind of deterrent 
to to someone who is is a bad enough person to, to commit a crime based on these factors. But it's it's a difficult thing to prove that, and, and I think that's a difficult case for any prosecutor to make in the absence of some kind of really clear, convincing, crazy evidence of of these individuals' mind states. Which it, it almost sounds like we may have that in this case. You know, uh, the, the, what I'm about to say has nothing to do with anything we've been talking about. But we were talking about the very scale, four varies, five varies, six varies. Uh, my kids, you know, I got three boys all under 12. I think 12 is the oldest, so I don't think. My 12-year-old is my oldest. I was going to say, you're not, you're not sure about the ages of your kids? Come on, Josh. Uh. <laughs> they get they get caught up on, on memes, right? They're big on, you know, I saw this meme or they'll, you know, I'll be playing like an old video from the 90s. I'm like, hey, that that's a meme. And they'll figure it out. And so we were, we were watching old '90s videos, getting ready for the Super Bowl. And uh, oh man, who's saying no diggity? Who was that? Dre was uh, in Black it. Street. I can't remember the name of Backstreet. Blackstreet. Yeah, yeah. Blackstreet. Oh, yeah, Blackstreet. Backstreet. Backstreet. Yeah, back. The Backstreet yeah. Boys sang no diggity. <laughs> that was their best song. Yeah, Blackstreet. So we saw no diggity, um, and. My kids recognized that that was uh, a meme. They recognized no diggity. They had seen, um, I don't know if you guys remember, but that millionaire show where they asked questions mm. and then they'd have the answers lined up, A, B, C, D. And so one was how many diggities Blackstreet was talking about in their song, like it was a currency or like a, ah, a measurement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so the, you know, one A was no diggity and B was like a medium amount of diggities, you know, and they had all these. And so they're kind of putting this together and figuring out where this this meme came from, but it was you know it was really funny to think about that as like a an international scale of measurement you know fourteen point eight diggities of the the lead diggity or, scale or whatever we should but, we uh, should adopt that here uh, <laughs> on the show. Well, I tell you, we we talk about everything. I mean, we we talked about the 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 fact that we've got hate hate crimes that are in the news, and we you know we go all the way to. Uh, the number of diggities I, I, I like and the number of varies. Uh, we have uh, a wrap up segment coming up. The outlaw lawyers, Josh Whitaker and Joe Hamer will be here for that. Whitaker and Hamer Law Firm is where you can find them during the week. They are practicing attorneys here in North Carolina, the managing partners of the firm, and they have offices in Raleigh, Garner, Clayton, Goldsboro, Fuquay, Verena and Gastonia. If you've got a legal question of your own and you need an answer, here's the number 800-659-1186. That's 800-659-1186. You can also email your questions to the show, no diggity, questions at theoutlawlawyer.com. That's questions at theoutlawlawyer.com. And please visit the website, theoutlawlawyer.com. We're back to wrap it up right after this. Welcome back into the Outlaw Lawyers, getting ready to wrap up the program for this week. Josh Whitaker and Joe Hamer are your hosts. They're the managing partners at Whitaker and Hamer Law Firm, practicing attorneys here in North Carolina. And they have 46 combined years experience between the two of them and offices almost on every corner. Raleigh, Garner, Clayton, Goldsboro, Fuquay, Verena, and Gastonia. And folks, if you've got a legal question uh, that you have been struggling with and you need an answer, we've got a number for you, 800-659-1186. That's 800-659-1186. Leave your contact information, briefly what the call's about, and an attorney with Whitaker and Hamer will be in touch shortly. You can also email your questions to the show, questions at theoutlawlawyer.com. All right, guys, let's wrap it up. 
during during the break, guys, I've been trying to figure out. I really want to create a diggity scale, you know, something that we can rank each show by. And so I think that in our scale, it'll be it'll be one to 123, 123 <laughs> diggities being the most diggities you can get. Uh, one being the least amount of diggities you can get. I'm putting the show at about 98, I think. 98 on that 98. I, I, oh, 98 man. on the diggity scale. I like it. <laughs> Look, to, just to, to go inception on you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to add three diggities to your, your rating to give it 101 diggities because of the creation of the diggity meter during the show. <laughs> I got We need to work out some ratios so we can convert like liters to diggities and meters per second to diggities. We got to put our top, our top. I think you're on to something, man. I think you're on. (laughs) Thank, thank goodness for your children for helping us (laughs) to get to this point, man. Well, my, my middle, my middle boy has, has been working through some fractions, uh, learning how to add and subtract fractions and things like that. So I think I'll, I'll put him on like, you know, volume of a cylinder, calculated solely in in diggities but i think we could i think as a nation we want to embrace the metric system but maybe the maybe the, the diggity, diggity system, system you know really i'm proud i'm really i'm really proud of us for um to, in the course of one show being able to to discuss topics ranging from sarah palin to the backstreet boys i i think there's a lot of uh we're just really covering the gamut there Hey, we we also got to talk about our forty forty two office more. So Morgan always goes through our our office locations, and our newest is our forty forty two office. So we got to make sure we get that in the list going. Forward. And it gets all one hundred and twenty three diggities. It's a fantastic office. Well, you know, you know, you're you know, you're big time when you you you're just going ahead and getting rid of the names, and you're just doing numbers now, right? Yeah, <laughs> just doing numbers, man. You know, Morgan, you always talk about uh. Throw a rock, you'll hit one of our offices. Please don't throw rocks at our office. Yeah, I please. guess that that was the wrong. Uh, it's a good yeah. analogy, but it's it's a you know, it is just a it's just a it. We're not don't do that, please. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, the outlaw liar. We have one in the books. Uh, Josh Whitaker and Joe Hamer are your hosts. They're the managing partners at Whitaker and Hamer Law Firm. Again, always uh, just a very interesting conversation when it comes to legalese. We hit all the hot topics each and every week. And, uh, and, and again, some of the discussion you probably hadn't considered, they're going to get into, again, here on The Outlaw Lawyer. Offices in Raleigh, Garner, Clayton, Goldsboro, Fuquay, Verena, and Gastonia. And they are practicing attorneys here in North Carolina that are managing partners at the firm. If you've got a question, call them, 800-659-1186. That's 800-659-1186. You can also email your questions to theoutlawlawyer.com. And to quote Anna Kendrick from Pitch Perfect, we out. hosted by an attorney licensed to practice law in North Carolina. Some of the guests appearing on the show may be licensed North Carolina attorneys. Discussion of this show is meant to be general in nature and in no way should the discussion be interpreted as legal advice. Legal advice can only be rendered once an attorney licensed in the state in which you live had the opportunity to discuss the facts of your case with you. The attorneys appearing on the show are speaking in generalities about the law in North Carolina and how these laws affect the average North Carolinian. If you have any questions about the content of this show, contact us directly.